The following podcast was recorded the morning of Thursday, April 15th, 2021, featuring Jim Bianco of Bianco Research. To hear the podcast in real time, you can sign up for a free trial at arborresearch.com or biancoresearch.com or by emailing Gus Handler directly at gus.handler at arborresearch.com. You can also call Arbor Research and Trading at 1-800-606-1872. Thanks for your time and enjoy the podcast. Welcome everyone to Talking Data. I'm Kristen Radish with Arbor Research and Trading, and today I'm joined by Jim Bianco of Bianco Research. Jim, today we're gonna to be discussing the world of crypto and DeFi, and I know a lot of our clients have many questions. I hope today we can just walk through this. Um, yesterday was a big day with Coinbase going public. It's actually, its value is exceeding the New York Stock Exchange. In your mind, is that warranted? Yeah, you know, that is shocking a lot of people that Coinbase is got such a high valuation right now. Yes, I think it is it is warranted uh, with a caveat. And it's warranted because it is the on-ramp to the crypto universe. So quick word definition here. Uh, in this universe, they refer to fiat in crypto. Fiat is that has been decreed is what the word means and they mean the dollar they mean the yen they mean the euro they intrinsically have no value except that the government decreed that it has value that's why they call it fiat and then there's crypto and that is bitcoin and ethereum and everything else how do i get my money from the fiat world to the crypto world you need an on-ramp and the biggest one of the biggest on-ramps in the united states is Coinbase. <clears throat> so you open a Coinbase account, you transfer your fiat, your dollars into the Coinbase account, and then you trade dollars for Bitcoin is, is what you do. So it, it serves a tremendously important uh, uh, service in that respect. What do you do with your Bitcoin after you've bought it. Well, most people think, you know, it's it's kind of like watching the horse race. Uh, you, you know, you watch it go up and down and hope you made money and not lose money. But boy, there's a lot more that you can do with a lot of this stuff as well, too. Uh, and one of the big things you could do if we could bring up the first chart mm -hmm. is it shows the number of Bitcoins on exchanges. Now, a lot of people have been saying, yeah, Coinbase is going gangbusters because everybody's getting into crypto but if you look at the blue line on the bottom starting about a year ago the number of bitcoin on the coinbase exchange which is the largest of all the exchanges holding bitcoin started to go down now wait a minute i thought everybody was getting into crypto and yet that number is going down how can that be because once you've gone to the on-ramp of a coinbase or a kraken that's another American exchange, or a Gemini, another an, another American exchange, or Binance US is another one. There's several of them, not to mention all of the foreign exchanges as well, too. Um, you can then go into the world of cryptocurrencies. You can transfer your cryptos off of the exchange into what's called a wallet, MetaMask being the more popular one, or into cold storage, uh, and uh, the ledger would be the popular one there. If you're watching on the video, this is my ledger that I keep all of my cryptos on. And yes, if you're watching on the video, it is just a memory stick. Now, to be clear on what this means is in the crypto world, all of my 
crypto coins are on the exchange, are on the blockchain. But I have a set of private keys, which is my, think of it, I know it's not exactly analogous, it's my private password to access my money. I keep that private key separate on this device. So if I ever lose this device, there is a backup for it, but if I ever lose this device or anybody gets it, it gets that device, they could get access to my money. I am in custody of my own account. Once I get my private keys off of the exchange, then I can open myself up to the world of decentralized finance uh, as well too. I can open up my, myself to the world of non-fungible tokens, of lending, of borrowing, of lotteries, of insurance. There are a lot of products that you can do in the crypto world that you cannot do on an organized exchange. You have to move off the exchange in order to do that. So that's why that chart is going down. It's because it's the on-ramp. So and, is it value? Yes. And, and Jim, question, how, like what percentage of folks are already actively engaged in this? Just what you described with all the terms, um, you know, who's, who's using it? What percentage? <laughs> that's a good question. Uh, I'll answer it in a couple of different ways. Um, the number of people that are probably trafficking off exchange. I mean, they've gone, they've opened an account, they've bought Bitcoin or they bought Ethereum and it's sitting on their Coinbase brokerage account. Now that they've gone the next step and moved it off exchange is probably a small minority of the people, maybe 30-ish percent would be my guess. 70% just stop with the exchange and that's as far okay. as they've gone. But that number that's moving off the exchange is growing quite a bit. That's why that blue line of Coinbase mm -hmm. and those rest are going down. They're understanding this world. Now, why is it that it's it's not a bigger number? Man, if you go do it, it is not easy. These uh it's these these wallets that you'd put your money in or these ledgers, they're hard to use. I mean, and I think of myself as pretty computer savvy. And if you do anything wrong, you can lose your money. And uh and so it but People do it because the reason I do it, not only to learn, but there's enormous opportunities out there in this wild west of unregulated stuff as well, too. So, yes, the on-ramps of the exchanges are extraordinarily valuable, but I will quote uh, Shen, uh, uh, CZ, which is uh, uh, Shen, Shen Pen Zhao, who is the creator of Binance, which is the largest or uh, centralized exchange in the world, the Binance Exchange. There's Binance US as well too, much bigger than, uh, it's much bigger than Coinbase. And he said last September that if the promise of DeFi is fulfilled, there will be no reason to have Coinbase or Binance or Kraken or any of the other exchanges. They will all become redundant and obsolete. They are not now. They serve a huge purpose. So yes, I understand the huge valuation for the company, but understand that in the long term, it is just an on-ramp and it's an on-ramp to a whole new world. So what should we know to get started? If you kind of just simplify, what are the next steps for most folks? 
So if you were to take, you know, step one, open a Coinbase account or crack an account or pick your pick, put some money in, even if it's $100, you can, because it's a digital world, there is no real advantage to having large amounts of money like there is in the securities world. It's better to trade a billion dollars than it is to trade $100 uh, in that world. But that's not the case here to some degree. But you can do it with $100. And you buy some of this stuff and you go and you move it off exchange, you get into the world of DeFi. Now, what does that mean? As I have my wallet, which is usually a browser extension, or the, when I physically plug this in, my, my ledger into my computer, and then I go to uh, my online program and I put in my secret password and I access my money, I connect to various websites that are decentralized uh, exchange websites or decentralized lending protocols. Now, what does that mean mm -hmm. in the decentralized world? Decentralized means no one runs it. So when I go to that exchange, it is I am connecting to a bunch of computer algorithms. What do I do when I'm there? Some of these computer algorithms are automatic market makers. They're exchanges. I can buy and sell my cryptocurrency. So if I moved my Ethereum onto my ledger and I connected my ledger to one of these automatic exchanges, I could sell my Ethereum. I could buy something else with it. Um, say Dogecoin or Bitcoin or whatever, there's no human being. Uh, there is no human being market maker. It's all done by algorithm. If I go to a lending exchange, I could take my Ethereum or whatever coin I have and I can stake it. I can pass it on to that decentralized exchange and they will pay me an interest rate for that. Uh, and the interest rate is they will give me more coins or I could go to that exchange and borrow more coins and usually buy more um, uh, cryptos on leverage, I could, go to a, I could go to a derivatives exchange like synthetics and I can trade in their futures market or I could trade in some of their other derivatives markets. I could go to insurance markets. I could either take out insurance usually against loss um, uh, in, in the crypto space or I could stake my money as part of being part of the insurance number. I could buy lotteries. I could go in the lotteries. I could spend my Ethereum to buy a lottery to win more Ethereum. Now, remember, this is a unique. This is a uh, a closed system that you do this with other cryptocurrencies. So that usually begs the question: If what's the point of this? This is a bunch of people passing along worthless magic beans to each other, back and forth. Well, this what about regulations? Well, I'll get to regulations. Okay in a second but quickly about these magic beans and uh is that this is the beginning of a new financial system it is being stress tested it is being tested out people are trying new ideas many of them will fail some of them won't so that's why it's this like closed system that they're trying to figure out this new system and what's key about this system is we have removed all of the middlemen out of the system. There is no bank, there is no broker, there is no insurance company, there is no financial services company that stands in the middle of it. There is no payment company. All of this is run on these exchanges by computer algorithm, which makes it efficient, fast, and essentially when they get it right, it's not right in some cases, almost free to do it. 
So that's why we've been able to create all these new currencies and all these new ideas, because the idea is I can send these money, this money back and forth to people. I don't need a bank to stand in the middle with all the regulations, with all their costs, and take two days to send that money. I could send you a cryptocurrency transfer to your account almost instantaneously for almost no uh, for almost no fee. The fee would be less than a penny. Now, some that are in this space say, wait a minute, the gas fees on gas fees are the transactions costs. That's what they call this okay. in this space. The gas fees are very, very high in Ethereum. That's true. They are very, very high, but everybody knows it and there are proposals to fix it as well. I'll use the analogy before we go into regulations. I'll use the analogy that Mark Cuban has used about this space in the past. In 1993, when he was a, um, a student at Indiana University, he had a Netscape browser, for those of you old enough to remember Netscape, and he downloaded an application uh, through a, a modem, remember dial-up modems, mm -hmm. he downloaded an application, connected it to his browser, downloaded an audio file, played it on that application. That took them two days. It took them time to download the application, to, connect, to get the configuration right, which was very hard. You had to go into the coding of the application and the coding of your browser to get it right. It took forever to download the audio file on a modem and he played it and it was kind of grainy and it didn't sound right. And he said, man, this is gonna change the world. What do you mean? This is terrible. This is hard to use. It's slow. The quality's awful. And he's, arguing, he's like, look all past that. That'll all get fixed. And when it gets fixed, this whole idea of streaming video and audio is going to revolutionize everything. And he started Broadcast.com and then eventually sold it for a billion dollars. I feel the same way about DeFi. If you go into this space, if you're listening to this and go, okay, I'll take some of my money and I'll go try and find MetaMask or some other wallet. Coinbase has a wallet that you can use um, as well too. All the exchanges have their own wallets and you start doing it, you're going to say at some point, man, why did I do this? This is hard, it's complicated. But if you stick with it and you say, look, all this will get solved in later versions. It will become more user-friendly. It will become more intuitive to do. It won't be so, so painful. And what You'll time frame would you put around that? Like, when do you foresee change that it'll become easier? Do you think it'll be the near term or longer out? I think within five years, this will be radically transformational is what you'll see with this. It's coming right away. One of the reasons it's so hard right now is because the technology moves so fast. No one has a chance to sit back and say, okay, this, the way you access this is clunky and hard and it's, you kind of kind of be a, a computer nerd to figure it out. We need to set this up so human beings can use it. But we don't have time to do that because we're on to changing the technology again. But once you get to that point and you start seeing what's going on here and you start realizing no one runs this, it's all algorithms. And you go, wow, this is gonna change a lot of what's going on in the financial system uh, as well too. And what it opens up us to is this idea of programmable money. Because what these are is these are computer files that we can transfer back and forth. Some of them are unique in the case of non-fungible tokens. Others are not unique, but we can tell that I am the owner of this file. 
and I will then transfer to you and another version doesn't exist. That's the double spend problem that they refer to. And so what we can now do is we could take these files and we could rename them money. And we can now create lots of different versions of money. Now that I've said that, let me give you a quick example. We have lots of different versions of money right now in the world. Not only do you have the dollars in your pocket and the dollars in your bank account, but you probably have miles in your airline uh, card. You probably have reward points from either your bank or some retailer uh, that, that you use. You get gift cards, you get incentive programs all the time. These are forms of money, but what they're very limited by is that they have to be run by some centralized authority with a lot of rules. We can now expand that and say that all of these programs are now run automatically. That means that there's almost no cost. So when I get a reward point, if I earn $1 in reward points, I get to spend $1. Today, for me to earn $1 in reward points, I actually earn, I have to actually earn about two or two and a half dollars because the, the retailer or the bank needs to get paid in order to manage this program. And so they'll, they'll tell me I earned a dollar, but I really earned about two and they take one for their trouble and then they give me one um, uh, somewhere along the line. So we'll so, be eliminating that middleman? <laughs> right, and by eliminating that middleman and making it a lot easier, we can create in the world of the, the DeFi world, tokens, a lot of new tokens that represent value. People have talked about, think about Uber. Uber is a platform company that created value by saying, you know what, your back seat has value and you're not using it. And I know a way that we could make money out of your back seat. You log on to this thing and I'll tell you to go pick up this person and drive them somewhere and they'll pay you for it as well. So there was value in your back seat. Airbnb said that there's value in that extra room of your house. And you know, log on to my site and we'll find somebody that wanna stay there and pay you for it. Well, in the world of DeFi, in this automatic world, we're gonna find value in your credit score. Say you have a very good credit score and somebody else doesn't have a good credit score. You can sell them some of your credit score uh, as well or maybe your reputation, that there's ways that you can monetize your reputation either in a hobby or in your professional reputation um, as well too. So there's lots of different forms of money that are gonna come. Why don't we have that now? Like I said, we sort of kind of do through Uber, Airbnb, reward programs, airline miles, but they're very, very inefficient and they're very costly to run and that limits the amount of possibilities. In this world, we're gonna open it up to a lot of other things as well. My idea here is not to go through the technical aspects of how this works. That's a whole nother 15 podcasts, which I'll probably get half of them wrong because it's not easy to understand, but to understand why people are so excited about what they see in this space. And Jim, can we end today just by tackling that third point about regulations, going back to regulations and the role of central banks? Um, how do you foresee that? We talked about timeframe. Where do you see that in the next six, six to 12 months? So let me be blunt about this. A lot of people, when you start explaining what I've explained to them, this is a world without banks. This is a world without brokerage firms. This is a world without insurance companies. This is a world 
without financial services companies. They get very uncomfortable with that idea. Um, and you know, I don't know if we'll ever achieve that absolute that will ever be no banks or anything along those lines, but we are going to redefine what a bank means. Now, when you start talking about that, people will automatically throw up, oh, they'll be regulated and that can't happen. To me, that's code word for this is going to work, but the powers that it will disrupt will stop it via regulation. Look, if this turns the flames out into nothing, you don't need to regulate it. It will just die on its own because it was just a good idea that never came to pass. Um, but the idea that we need to regulate it in order to control it is, I think, a very dangerous thing. One, I don't think you can. As it's been often argued, a lot of this stuff is decentralized. No one owns it. Um, Hester Pierce is an SEC chairman or commissioner, excuse me, and she really understands this stuff. And she's been giving speeches that the problem with DeFi is who do we regulate? There, it, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's an autonomous algorithm that runs on the internet. No one owns it. No one, um, you know, there's ways you can change it through governance and stuff like that, but there's no person that you would you would tell to, uh, you have to abide by these regulations uh, as well. So that I know is a difficult concept for people to understand um, how, that, how that technically works, but that's the promise of this world is that it's just run by these, these algorithms. And since no one owns it, I don't know who I'm supposed to regulate. So that's the, one of the problems with regulation. The second problem with regulation, come back to a second thing as well too, is if you look at the percentages of people by country that are interested in DeFi, it's the third world that has higher percentages of people that play DeFi than the developed world. The third world, Nigeria leads the world, like 32% of their population owns cryptocurrencies, which is like 4% in the United States. Nigeria, how can it be Nigeria? Because Nigeria has two things. It has some wealth because it's money. So there are some wealthy people, maybe not by American standards, but by third world standards, they are wealthy. And they have poor regulation and they have a poor banking system. So they use digital or crypto as their banking system. And you see this in the rest of the world. So if this other idea is, oh, they'll slap this down and they'll regulate it away. As I've said, this is going to get created in one of two ways. It's going to be created with the U.S. having a seat at the table saying, let's design this new financial system. Or it's going to get created with the U.S. not having a seat at the table because we've regulated everybody off the table and they'll design it without us. Right now in the current financial system, the U.S. is the winner because we are the lead dog in the current centralized financial system. This is why it's people get uncomfortable with this. Is I was like, just because we're the winner of it doesn't mean the rest of the world's happy with it. And they're going to want to use this new technology as a way to design a more equitable system. The last off for you is our, our last chart, stable coins. Well, what about when the Fed or the central banks come up with their own digital currency? And uh, we've got a chart of stable coins. And let me explain what a stable, first of all, the chart shows that stable coin is exploding in value. It's up to $70 billion from about $5 billion a year ago. What is a stable coin? 
a stable coin is a coin that has, or a cryptocurrency that has its value tied to something else. In this case, the US dollar. It trades one-to-one, -one, the US dollar to this stable coin. So there is a cryptocurrency. So if I buy Bitcoin and I own some Bitcoin out there and it's gone up in value, and then I'm afraid, you know what? I think it's gonna tank. What do I do? I can put my money in a stable coin. And every day, it, what, if I put $100 in the stable coin, it's, it's, I own 100 of them at $1. And if Bitcoin goes up or down, I own 100 of them at $1. It doesn't move. So we've got this dollar version of a crypto coin in, in many different stable coins as well to a whole nother argument is how they work. But they've been around for a couple of years and they do work. And there's various protocols for uh, what causes them to work. And people are starting to understand that the stable coins exist. Visa, two weeks ago, announced they'll start settling transactions in stable coins. So if I buy a, if I have a Visa card, I could go to, I could go to Starbucks, I could buy a latte, and then I can pay for it with stable coins in my crypto account. People have always said, well, the problem with paying for it with Bitcoin is the price will move 10% in three minutes while you're paying for it, but not with the stable coin. So this idea that, oh, the central banks will create their, their own version of these currencies and put everybody will put the rest of them out of business, too late. We already have that version. It is called a stable coin. And it is a foundation, these stable coins, for a lot of this decentralized finance stuff. So when you're playing around in this DeFi world, and you're worried about volatility, you've got a safe harbor. I could go put my money into these stable coins and their price doesn't move. They, and that's why they're going up in value. People are not buying stable coins because they think they're gonna make money. They're using them as a, as a form of cash, getting ready to deploy it elsewhere, just like we use our demand deposit accounts in the current CFI system. So hopefully what I'm trying to give you the message of is, man, there's a whole new financial system that is being developed that removes the current middlemen that we use uh, and that by removing them, we've made it more efficient, a lot cheaper and opened it up to a tremendous more possibility. This new system is very crude. It's difficult to use. A lot of the protocols that we're testing out in this system may fail. There's more that are coming. It's highly speculative. But if you like, like Mark Cuban with his first iteration of broadcast.com, if you could look through the immediate problems and look at the bigger picture of where this is going, you can't help but be impressed that there is a big, big disruption coming in this new world, which is why everybody's getting excited and you're seeing the value of all of these cryptocurrencies rise. So a lot more to come. Exactly. This is still, it's not too late. It's, you know, this is the second pitch of the first inning where we're at with this stuff. I know a lot of people are like, yeah, yeah, it's too late. No, it's way, way, way early on this stuff. Well, thank you, Jim. We really appreciate it. Uh, thank you to everyone for joining us today and stay tuned for further podcasts on this topic as we continue to receive updates and we'll do our best to keep giving uh, explanations and getting it out to you. If you need any further information on Arbor Research, Bianca Research, and Arbor Data Science, please contact Gus Handler at gus.handler at arborresearch.com. Have a great day.